Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen and welcome to the 606th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Beyond the 90 at beyondthe90.substack.com and of course locally at Red Bull News Network, but as always, this show is dedicated to the American game here in this country. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. And now, as the MLS regular season moves into the playoff rounds, we will find out who will advance to the next round after these wild card games on Wednesday, October the 25th? And then who will march to win the MLS Cup championship to secure that position in the round of 16 of the brandly new expanded CONCACAF Champions Cup? And let me just say that I'm excited for this new edition, this new tournament, this new format, as we are going to see an abundance of clubs battling it out, fighting against each other, and going for it to become the top club in the region of CONCACAF next year in 2024, and hopefully battle for the FIFA Club World Cup against past champions not only in CONCACAF, but as a possibility, we could face a UEFA Champions League winner or an Asian Champions League winner or an African Champions League winner or a Copa Libertadores champion, even an Oceania Champions League winner. We'll see what happens there. But now, officially, we have the schedule for the brand-new 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup. And boy, is it a doozy. It is a doozy of a schedule because, as of right now, we have, because of the 22 clubs throughout CONCACAF in the North Zone, the Central American Zone, and the Caribbean Zone, 22 of the 27 will be in that opening round. The entire month of February, all four midweek dates will be for not only the first leg, but also the second legs for the opening round. So we're going to have it spread out all over the entire month of February for the opening round. And what does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. It means that whoever qualified out of Major League Soccer to go into the opening round of the brand new CONCACAF Champions Cup, with the exception of Inter-Miami and whoever wins the MLS Cup Championship, they will start in March. So that means... All these clubs from Major League Soccer who will start in February, whatever the dates are, will barely have a preseason. You heard it here correctly, folks. They will barely have preseason. Well, is, am I upset at CONCACAF for what they have done? Surprisingly, I am not upset at them at all. No, nope. I am not upset whatsoever. Because you want to know why? Because they have to do what's good for them to make this tournament work. Let me give you the dates. 
in round one, the midweek dates of February 6th through the 8th. Week two are February 13th through the 15th. Week three is the 20th through the 22nd. Week four, because it's a leap year next year, the 27th through the 29th. Then we get to March for the round of 16. The first legs will be from the 5th through the 7th, and the second legs will be from the 12th through the 14th. The quarterfinals will be in April. April 2nd through the 4th. April 9th through the 11th. And then the semifinals will be April the 23rd through the 25th. And then, of course... Second leg, April 30th through May 2nd. And then the one-match final will be June the 2nd. So, I mean, hey, CONCACAF has to do what they need to do to get this tournament going and to have these dates. Why does it mess up and screw around with MLS? Well, it's really simple. And here's the answer. League's Cup. I want to congratulate Commissioner Don Garber for forcing League's Cup on Victor Montagliani's plate. I want to congratulate Commissioner Don Garber in finding a way for getting the president of Liga MX to be a part of this charade and making this League's Cup what it's supposed to not be. Because in their eyes, they think it's the greatest thing ever. And this is why I get angry and I get upset when someone like Don Garber is forcing himself to not only run Major League Soccer, but also to run U.S. Soccer and CONCACAF all into one. That's not how they do it at UEFA. And that's not how they do it in Conmebol, in Africa, in Asia, even in the South Pacific with the Oceanic countries. That's not how we do it, even within CONCACAF, but because of Don Garber's continuing to interfere with CONCACAF business, Victor Montagliani has no choice but to say, okay, Don, whatever you want, I'll do it. And as you can see, this is why, why I get angry and I get upset when Don Garber is interfering in certain soccer business he should not be getting involved into. And now, what's going on? Well, it's the detriment on the players now because of what the owners and what Don Garber is doing to devalue the quality of the league. This is the start of it. The players are getting upset. The the coaches, the coaching staffs, the head coaches are not happy. Major League Soccer is now in a 3.0, 4.0 phase. The league is still running it like it's 1.0. And now it comes to the point where this league has to start growing up. And I'm not talking about what the clubs are doing, what the league is doing. It's time to erase certain mechanisms involving the rosters, how to acquire players. It's time to end uh, the re-entry drafts, the original, the original DP rule, which was discovery player rule, get rid of that. Either we keep the salary cap or we keep the single entity. We cannot have both anymore. One has to go. If both have to go, great. If not, I understand. And yes, it's time for basically the league to now open up the purse strings. And I'm not saying we've got to go in wild, crazy spending. 
But what I'm saying is make it more competitive than what it really is. So much potential here in the United States. Canada also has potential with their players going through these motions as well. We already know about players from Mexico. We don't need to explain it about them because you want to know why? Because they are doing things their own way, but at the same time, they make more sense because what they're doing is what everyone else is doing. But at the same time, they have the money. Do I think we have the money? I think there are some clubs that do and there are some clubs that don't. But I think it's time that some of these clubs that are not going to be spending, it's time for them to really start to step up and really join the party. It's also time for people inside MLS HQ to step up and join the party as well. Because even though they're making the invitations, they're setting up the foods, the drinks, the games, the music, the party favors. They're really just staying in the corner of the living room while everyone else is having a great, grand old time. MLS is working, but now it's time for MLS to say we need to step it up within ourselves. It's time for everyone inside of MLS HQ in Manhattan, in New York City, to just say, you know what, we hear you, we're listening to you, it's now time to move forward and become a stronger and better league, now being allowed to spend and let the club spend on who they want to bring in. Because right now, we're holding ourselves back. And that's why some of these players who are being developed in the academies, being able to have starting minutes with their MLS teams, and they're already going to Europe because that's where they want to be, because that's where the money is. Because they want to improve themselves and not just, not just be a part of their national teams, of the U.S. men's national team. But other national teams of the country that they represent, when they come into our academies and then go out there on our stadiums and the fields of our stadiums. It's time to grow up. Time to finally grow up MLS. This is why these types of games are important. And this is why, Don, the League's Cup was a horrible idea. You've created fixture congestion for no reason whatsoever. And now you're going to pay more of a price because you forced CONCACAF's hand to start their Champions Cup, this brand new format, which I love and I'm glad it's here. It's time that you're going to now pay for it because we're barely going to have a preseason for, I would say, nearly half the field of MLS clubs that have qualified for the CONCACAF Champions Cup. It's too much. It's too far. The only way you're going to alleviate this is to get rid of League's Cup and go back to what it should be more about. The MLS regular season, the U.S. Open Cup, the playoffs, the CONCACAF Champions Cup, and that's it. No more League's Cup. It is just an absolute disgrace. You're taxing our players. You're taxing the head coaches. You're taxing everyone in the top division of American soccer. That's all I can say about that. And I hope Don Garber is listening because too much and everything's going to fall apart. Ladies and gentlemen, i got a great show for you tonight. My guest tonight, my first guest, he has done it again. Once again, Orange County SC delivering a major victory, securing another decade of Orange County SC soccer at the Championship Soccer Stadium 
at Irvine, California. The president of the club, Dan Rootstein, joins me right now. Dan, good evening. Congratulations. It is a big moment, not just for you and for the supporters and for the entire club, but for American soccer and the United Soccer Leagues as a whole for securing that deal. Hi, good evening, Daniel. And yes, we are very happy indeed. I think it was a a long process. Things were not wonderful a year ago, and we've spent a a lot of time and a lot of effort working very closely with a sort of a a, a renewed approach to how we deal with the city, and we're delighted that now a couple of weeks ago they granted us the right to play in that stadium for another 10 years. It's absolutely amazing. How long and how tedious were these negotiations with the City Council of Irvine to get this deal done? Uh, to be honest, once we reapproached them with a different spirit of collaboration, um, it has been a, a surprisingly pleasant journey, I think. We, within a week of the decision last year that granted us the extra 12 months, I reached out anew to the city manager and we sat down and we had a very open discussion and that was the first meeting where we really started uh, bringing this back together, trying to work out what we could do together. Um, And then successive meetings with the the working level staff at the city, many of whom were never against us playing there. Um, It was, you know, it was about, it was was a different group of people, Um, but we worked very closely and we looked at different versions of it and we iterated through different deals and then we agreed something at sort of at working level to take to the city council and we were delighted that they voted unanimously to give us not just the 10 years but also a whole array of different commercial and branding rights around the stadium that completely transformed the business model for the club and at our home playoff game last Saturday I presented the mayor with a framed Orange County shirt, frankly on behalf of the fans of our club, thanking her for her leadership and and the council for getting us the right to play in that stadium until 2033. That is amazing. A a full decade of Orange County SC soccer at the Championship Soccer Stadium. You know, we don't really need to explain what the situation has been. Of course, we all know the San Diego Loyal is no longer around at the end of this playoff run here from them. Uh, and seeing the lower levels falling for no reason whatsoever. But, you know, to see what you've done for the club and, of course, for the supporters that have been filling up that stadium, match in match out, whether it be the championship regular season, hosting an Open Cup match, a home playoff match. It's just really wonderful to see cooler heads prevail, come together, and just hammer out a fair and honest deal between all parties. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think you don't know what you've got until somebody nearly takes it away from you. And I think seeing the fans packing the council chambers for two meetings, the second one particularly long, you know, gave us a renewed understanding of the club of what, of what the stadium means to everybody. And since that council decision was made, we have, I'm quickly doing the maths now, we've, we've sold out nine of the 20 games that we've played at home since then, uh, having never sold out a game in the 10 years of the club's history, uh, and then we sold out the last two games of last year, and we've now just had seven successive Saturdays in a row of sellouts. So it says a lot about you know what the club means, and it was why we fought so hard to get this because the fans, you know, they deserve it. They're loyal fans. All, all soccer fans are always loyal. You know, they follow their club through thick and thin, and we had the the thick in 21 when we won the national championship, and we had the thin in 22 when we nearly lost the stadium and we finished bottom of the league. And we thought we were starting in the thin at the beginning of this year, and we're now back in the thick. We are, well, we're about to host our conference semi final on Saturday. We've secured a 10 year stadium deal, and we launched a new community fundraise 
um, where uh, now more than 340 people have become minority owners of the club. So everything's changed in the last year. How much did this whole situation affect the players? Because obviously um, the players make the club what it is at the same time. You know, you have great coaching staffs to get these players prepared every single time they're, they're on the training pitch getting ready for a battle for every 90 minutes. What was their feelings like through this process when you informed them as well that this deal is now done? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, at the back end of last year, when we saved the stadium, I know that there was a video made of our fans going to that council meeting that was played by the coach to the players immediately before a game against Phoenix, actually, who were playing again in the playoffs on Saturday. And that inspired the players, and we went out and won that game in front of a, a large crowd. And I think, you know, this year, it's not we, we try and separate front office from players. They don't need to know the sponsorship deals we're doing unless it positively affects them, like the Uber Eats deal we did that meant they get free food if they're man of the match. But we try and separate front office from, from technical. So we've tried not to give them something to think about beyond the job they have to do on the field. But they know about the 10 years, obviously, and they felt that in the stadium when we got together on Saturday for the playoff game, which is the first time the fans were together since the announcement. And you could, just, you could just feel it in the stadium. Something felt different. Um, but, you know, the players have done their bit. They're, they've got us to, you know, second place, which means home playoff games for at least two. And then the fans have, have done their part by showing their support for the club. So we all came together for one big celebration last Saturday, sent out crowd and advanced in the playoffs. That's fantastic to hear. And obviously, uh, in two years' time, three years' time, I should say, but really two and a half, the FIFA World Cup will be coming back to North America, shared with Canada and Mexico, of course, most of the matches here in the U.S. Was that also important of a subject to have the city council join you in granting you these 10 years? Yeah. And look, soccer in America is in an extraordinary place at the moment um, between you know Ted Lasso we are Wrexham Messi signing for into Miami and obviously the World Cup coming you know the growth is huge we want to be part of that we can see a 10-year horizon that we want to be part of that journey now we don't know where the FIFA process is for deciding on training venues but Orange County Soccer Club will work closely with the council to make sure that we put ourselves in the best possible position to try and have the facility, you know, the stadium and the facilities around it to be used as a training base for the World Cup. Um, I think that's very important for the city of Irvine and it's very important for our club. You know, we're an international facing club. We always have been and we'd like to be involved in those sorts of discussions when, when it all comes around. No, absolutely. And uh, wouldn't it be interesting to see, uh, maybe we'll see uh, when uh, UEFA starts their uh, qualification draw for those groups, maybe England might be, you might be lucky to see England uh, training at Irvine. Of course, you'd probably be hoping that they'll come to the West Coast and uh, you'll be the first in line, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't say no to to England. I mean, maybe even Scotland and Wales if they qualify. Um, But uh, you know, we'll, we will be we would be happy with any nation uh, training at our facility. Uh, but to be honest, for now, we're just happy that we get to stay at that facility for ten more years. If I can ask you this personal question, if you don't mind, how how have you been handling this whole situation with the negotiations? Of course, the first warning sign that happened a couple of years ago up till now, now you've got this whole deal done. How have you felt personally with this whole situation? So, you know, I, I took over as president of the club uh, from uh, the, the previous president who moved across to Pittsburgh. And I took over an eight, I think it was my eighth day at work. We saw the agenda for the council meeting that, potentially we were going to lose the stadium. So, you know, my, my first preoccupation in my new role as president of business relations was to work on that stadium deal, which I did for the first, it must have been six to eight weeks that I was, I was in the job. Um, and then the next year, I would say I've spent a significant proportion of my time working on this deal. I mean, in a former life, 
I worked for the British government. I was a diplomat. I worked in as a civil servant in London. I know my way around around government. I know my way around politicians. And so I sat down and slowly and methodically worked with some very good people at the city, um, worked closely with some very understanding politicians, made our case clearly, effectively. We had data to show why we're important. We had emotions to show why we're important. And uh, we were delighted. You know, I was, I was relieved and elated in equal measure when we walked out of that council meeting knowing that the next 10 years of our club's future were not just secure, as in we had somewhere to play, but we changed the model for the club in terms of what we can do with branding and, and advertising around the stadium. So it was, it was very pleasing. Um, all those years in government maybe did pay off. I'm glad to hear that because, you know, when, the, when everything broke out on social media, then Twitter, now X, you know, I saw this and I was very upset and I was very angry because I felt, you know, that's not fair that, you know, this club that has been a part of the community in Orange County, California, is not being given a fair, op- fair chance to remain at the facility that they have basically been playing for you know ever since they were created and now thank goodness for calmer heads and as you said great negotiation on uh no great negotiation tactics uh a deal was done and everything is now uh copacetic yeah it's great and look, you know there's been there's been something i've been trying to work on for probably a couple of years that didn't really make any sense until we did the stadium deal, which was we've always wanted to do as part of, you know, we're a community club. We've always seen ourselves with clubs or global, sort of community heart, global vision. And we see ourselves as part of the community. And we saw that with the, with the fight to keep the stadium. Um, now, I think I mentioned this on the show before. I, I'm, an, I'm a part owner of my club back in England, AFC Wimbledon, who went through quite a journey of their own in terms of sort of nearly losing something. Um, so we wanted to do a version of that over here. Um, so the day after we secured the stadium deal, we announced first to our fans and then a week later to the broader public, we're, we're, we're opening up a percentage of the club to fans to become owners. Um, and we've had nearly 350 people have signed up to become owners at, at different levels. And on the field before the game against El Paso last Saturday in the playoffs, we had a parade of probably over 100 people on the field, the new owners of the club who are unbeaten as owners because we got through that game. And I think the, the, the level of involvement I've seen from people since we announced this, it shows sort of where we are as a club and how we want to operate. So we want to be a community club. We've got our secure future through the stadium, and now we're giving you know hundreds, hopefully in the low thousands of people the chance to, to be part owners of the club and be part of our, of our journey to grow the sorts of local soccer that everyone fought for a year ago. Absolutely, and I'm glad to hear that. And I'm also glad that, once again, your club will remain in Orange County for a good decade over at Championship Soccer Stadium. I hope this whole uh, situation never happens again to you or to any other club below MLS. It should never happen at all. And I wish you good luck, and not only in the uh, USL playoffs and Championship League, but um, a, a wonderful, healthy decade at Championship Soccer Stadium. Dan Rootstein, the president of Orange County SC. Thank you for joining me tonight. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, and good luck now and in the future. Thank you, Daniel, and thank you for your support last year when it was all kicking off, and thank you for your support this year. Now it's not. Absolutely. It's always there. Have a good night, Dan. Thank you once again. Cheers. Cheers. Dan Rootstein, the president of Orange County SC and USL Championship, as once again they have secured uh, a 10-year renewal of playing their matches over at Championship Soccer Stadium in the confines of Orange County in the city of Irvine as we are very happy to have them be a part of it. And as we get ready 
to talk on more USL Championship action. Joining me right now from the Steel City, it is Mr. John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer Now, as we'll review their amazing run in the regular season. John, welcome back to the show. Um, Obviously, very sad to hear about the 1-0 loss to Detroit City in the playoffs. Um, We all know how difficult they can be, but still, though, I thought the Riverhounds finally... They're on the soccer map, and it's all because of what that club has done in that city. Well, yeah, this and what what they've done over the course of, what, now six years under Bob Lilly, I think that's been a, a massive piece of it is, you know, the progression through the years, but finally putting it all together and having um, a lot of, you know, having some breaks go your way this season – uh, but also all the momentum uh, brought the crowds, the open cup, like it finally the you know, we already talked about this on your show, the ball bounced their way a little bit in the open cup and they got, you know, they really, Bob Lilly, the mathematician, uh, you know, strong in terms of, you know, really identifying players that would fit into his system. And I think it all really came together this year for an outstanding, outstanding uh, regular season. And I think there's, they should, they really, when they look back on what they accomplished this year, uh, I think even though there's bitter disappointment from Saturday night, you know, one and done tournaments, one and done playoffs, it's, you know, that's, that's can happen, but, but over the course of 34 games uh, and the open cup with this team accomplished, uh, and to get really this city of Pittsburgh behind soccer in a way that we've never really seen. We've never seen just week in and week out, you know, over really 5,500, 6,000 fans just packing it into Highmark Stadium. It wasn't just, oh, we're going to get the Columbus Crew uh, MLS opponent and we'll pack Highmark and everybody will get excited and then, you know, go back to playing before 2,000 people. It's It was a serious serious boost this year in terms of the attendance numbers and the excitement for the team and, and the, the soccer community as a whole and, and our region has really grown. That's been amazing to see. I mean, obviously we all know it's ruled by the Steelers. It's ruled by the Penguins, University of Pittsburgh, obviously. Baseball has been up and down a little bit, but it's still a mainstay. But, you know, someone like an outsider like me that roots for teams like the Riverhounds, like El Paso Locomotive, as well as, you know, if you want to go to um, FC Tucson or Tulsa, whatever have you, you know, you want to see them flourish. And, you know, seeing River, excuse me, Highmark Stadium filled up on CBS Sports Galazzo for the Open Cup match against Columbus. And I'm just thinking to myself, that that's it. They've made it. The place is packed. And for you to go through that pro, that procession, that progression of barely filled to now sellouts almost every single night, I mean, that had to put a smile on your face and everyone else that's covered this club and has covered the sport. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, look, we've had, a, we've had a good run here in Pittsburgh as far as soccer goes. I think it's been cumulative when you think about the Riverhounds and, you know, both the University of Pittsburgh, even Duquesne, uh, especially the men's team in the recent years, like there's been a lot of momentum in a lot of different places. Um, and, and, you know, I think that the, the pro team obviously obviously is going to be, the, you know, they're going to be the, the flag bearer. They're going to be the, the leader um, but it's been, I mean, even in the NPSL, you're aware, you know, the, the Hotspurs now, um, Pittsburgh, uh, the Steel City uh, FC. I mean, it just seems like everybody uh, has fed off of this growth and momentum that we've seen the sport have here in the city. And I just love, I, I put, we probably mentioned this in the last time I interviewed you, but I, I just, I always go back to the, to the, um, one of my one of the writers for Pittsburgh Soccer now, uh, Dominic Campbell, wrote a great column after the M- MLS wins against New England and Columbus, and it was, you know what, Pittsburgh does not need Major League Soccer. Pittsburgh just 
is is a good soccer city now. It is it really is a good solid soccer city, and the Riverhounds have a lot to do with that. The the stability that the franchise has reached under the ownership of Tuffy Schallenberger, and of course having you know a American coaching soccer coaching legend leading their charge. And I, honestly, Daniel, it, to to sit in the press conference the other day, you know, a lot of times we bitter Riverhounds lost. A lot of times the media, we sit there and we're, you know, we're like, oh, what's Bob going to say now? Or, or, you know, a lot of times, like, he'll come back and they'll win a game two to one and he'll just be grumpy and he'll be pointing out all these different things. But honestly, it was about an 11-minute monologue that was, I mean, I recommend anyone listen to sit and listen to it. We have it on our Pittsburgh Soccer Now YouTube channel. And Bob, you know, he was eloquent. He was empathetic to the players that just were absolutely gutted. He was, he you know, as he always is, he, he could learn so much about the game. Uh, he provided, uh, you know, just a good uh, analysis of, of what happened and the fact that, you know, can't let a game go 0-0 that late into a match. And he kind of broke down some of the technical stuff that, you know, maybe the, you know, we could have been more clinical in the final third in that first half. And, you know, they were so good this year, so many times, getting that early goal in the game. I mean, Albert Equal alone <clears throat> scored a goal before the 22nd minute eight different times this year. So when things didn't – in Detroit, on the other hand, said, hey, if we can, we can weather that storm, that 15 minutes, 20 minutes, first half, you know, we believe we could win. And Dominic Gasso, who scored the goal, a 20-year-old from a USL Academy product, said pretty much said that in the post-game press conference. So, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it, it's just something that we're very fortunate in Pittsburgh to have someone like Bob Lilly, who he's very unique, he's set in his ways, but he is a great ambassador for the game. He really, really is. He definitely is, and I've, I remember uh, someone asking me, you know, if there was a USL head coach uh, that would be picked to be the head coach of the U.S. men's national team, who would you pick? Uh, I said two people, and if there was no MLS, I said either Bill Betcher at the time when the Harrisburg City Islanders was around, I said I, I would pick him, and or Bob Lilly, because, you know, those two I thought – were just you know very strong tactically, and I felt if there was no MLS, one of those two should deserve that opportunity. Yeah, uh, I you know we've I think we've tossed this one around before too, but I I, I think it would be very interesting. You know I think in this day and age, the 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 tactical the to be able to manage the media and all those type of things like Bob's actually very very good with the media. Um, in terms of handling that part of it, you know, talking to the players and, you know, laying out expectations. I think that the question would be, you know, uh, in U.S. soccer goes, you give, you want to, you want to give him the keys to the car. You know, he's going to want to, all coaches are going to have, want to have as much control as possible. And, you know, Working at the uh, second division soccer level, I think it allows a coach like Bob Lilly to be able to implement his, um, you know, his just kind of make sure that he has his hands on a lot, everything, basically all aspects of what the players are doing on the day in, day out operations of the team and everything. So he has, he's a little bit more, in control with maybe with a lower division team, whereas, you know, you know, you get to MLS or you get to to the U S soccer federation and there are going to be people involved in terms of helping make decisions as far as personnel in terms of all these other things. So I think, I don't, it's not a knock on Bob. I just think that it, it just, how many people the U S soccer federation would just say here, you, you know, I'm sure Greg Berhalter does have a lot of leeway, but but I'm sure he he does have certain people he reports to, and he has to um, you know kind of go along with a lot of things Federation is thinking in terms of um, you know macro 
kind of look at things in terms of the development of the program and all that kind of stuff. Um, Bob, I think, would be very, very specific in terms of managing a team like a U.S. national team in terms of what he would want, um, the players he would want. It would almost be that Herb Brooks-ish type of, would you just let Herb Brooks, you know, what he did with the U.S. men's, um, you know, hockey team and the hockey program where he just, Herb pretty much did it his way. And he, you know, yep. some people weren't always the decisions, you know, but he did it his way. And obviously they pulled off Miracle on Ice. I think Bob would be the same way. He'd be like, you know, this is how I envision, this is how I see that where we could be successful. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, exactly. I, I think you kind of have to be a, a bridge builder in, in some respects to be the, the head coach of a, a major national team and um, things like that. You have to do all those other things. When you talk to players like, you know, Edward Kiza, or obviously, you know, the return of Canardo Forbes uh, with Bob Lilly over in Pittsburgh, and of course, you know, Mark Yabara, when you ask them, you know, what's it like to have the season you're having and, and you have this great crowd that just, you know, filling it up every single home match. I mean, I don't think they're going to be traveling too much on, on road games unless they're able to, the fans. But still, though, to have that home field advantage, to have that fortress, they must have felt really energized every single time they went out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I think it's more talk to Robbie Mertz, a Pittsburgh native who, you know, was here from when he was in his teen years, you know, play, uh, or going to Riverhounds games at Highmark Stadium and now playing there, that, you know, he could tell you that it's incredibly energizing to now the norm being 5,000, 6,000 people ready to go. The Steel Army, the Paul Child stand is completely full with flags, not like one, two flags, but like, you know, dozens of flags are flying at the same. I mean, it's just an atmosphere, and I think the players really feed it, fed off of it this year so many times. That's why – Saturday night, it just felt like even after they gave up the goal, you know, there was that late push, and they have they've had some come from behind wins this year, uh, and but they just they could not get across the finish line. Uh, it was too little, too late. But but yeah, there was definitely. I mean, the the Columbus match was a you know great example. There was so many matches really from that point forward where the crowd really really did make a difference. No, absolutely. Um, let me ask you this. With the success that the Riverhounds had this year, unfortunately not in the playoffs, but, but with the success they had this year, can we maybe see a new stand maybe being built above where the players' locker room is and uh, the um, the luxury section is that's behind one of the goals? Uh, do you think they can add more seats over there, or do you think they might? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but – Maybe somewhere down the line, if the Riverhounds get even bigger and better and better, they may build a new stadium. Well, it's interesting you asked that question because uh, uh, about a month ago, I ran into one of the fans in the stands who uh, is a retired architect. And I think he was working with the company that did the design, did some design work. Uh, I think when they originally built Highmark Stadium, there there was always going to be some sort of room for some sort of expansion. I envisioned like the first room of the first part of that was they expanded the Paul Child stand, which is in the east end of the stadium where the where the supporters sit. They've already expanded that in 2000, I guess at the end of 2018 or 2019, somewhere around there. So that made it uh, capacity officially at 5,000. Now, there are, I don't know what, those what the architect had in mind or what that would look like or what they can try to do. I do know that thousand, but they've been uh, doing, you know, selling standing room only and things like that. They, they pushed it over 6,000, I think three times this year alone. So there, yeah, there, there's going to be, there's obviously going to be some sort of discussion this off season now that they've actually been able to sustain a, or, you know, an average attendance of over 5,000 people, um, they're going to look at all the options. The only issues are going to be is just in terms of space, uh, people getting around, the concessions, those type of things. Like if they add more people, more stands, they have to 
they have to figure out in terms of spaces for some of the all the other pieces, you know, parts of the puzzle, the restrooms and, you know, more concessions and things like that. Yeah, because I think, you know, I mean, I don't know what's available by uh, where the Steelers play or by PNC Park, um, but maybe by the casino. I mean, I, I don't know uh, what land is available in downtown Pittsburgh, but my feeling right. is if there is some form of land that the mm-hmm. Riverhounds can grab onto, remain within the downtown area or at least within the main area of the Three Rivers, I mean, I'm hoping they can build something new and, you know, maybe put a grass field. Not saying, look, I, I hope for grass, obviously, but, you know, they mm-hmm. got to have field turf at the moment. But still, though, you know, anything positive for the Riverhounds, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah, they're, um, th- they did build a facility in Montour Junction, which is a little bit west of the city um, near the airport. Uh, it's beautiful brand new ability and it's in they built it in conjunction with Allegheny Health Network so the idea is that it is partially a health um, facility for rehab and, and orthopedic services and what you know what other medical uh, the Allegheny Health Network could provide but it also has an indoor a full-size indoor field it also has um, training facility and outdoor right now they have three I think it's three that are built but the plan was to have ten and Tuppy Schallenberg. So that's in, but it's, that's just a training facility. The, the, you know, again, I've heard different rumblings. I've heard different things about potential locations for if, you know, down the road, if they were to move out. The thing is, is that Tuppy Schallenberg now owns, he actually owns the ground where the stadium stands on. So, you know, that's, that's a big move that he made about, I think about two or three years ago. But he actually owns the property, the the land. It, you, he bought it off of the Station Square property there. So, you know, because of that, he I think he might be more willing to invest in uh, building around the current facility. But who knows? I mean, you could sell that property and then go. You know, I don't. I'm not really a real estate expert, so I don't know uh, the ins and outs of all that. But uh, I, I I would imagine the land, the ground now that he they would have options yep we'll see what happens and hopefully a great future for the riverhounds uh, down the road but john thank you again for joining me tonight uh good luck in the off season hopefully uh the riverhounds continue their success in 2024 and hopefully a big run in the open cup as well so thanks again for joining me have a good night and i'll talk to you again soon all right take care thanks for having me all right, thank you. John Krasinski, PittsburghSoccerNow.com. Head on over there and read up on everything on the Riverhounds of USL Championship. It's a fun place to read stuff. I, I have as well. John does a great job along with his other writers and photographers uh, as well. Uh, let's quickly now recap some of these scores here in Open Cup qualifying in the amateur ranks in the third round. Um, Club Deportivo Fialens. Loses to Brockton United FC 3-2. Veringong Erzgebirge. They defeat United German Hungarians in penalty kicks 4-3 after a 1-1 draw. Harbor City FC falling to FC America Central Florida Spurs 1-0. Leg AZ World FC defeating Florida Premier FC 4-0. Miami United defeating Miami Soccer Academy 4-0. Chicago House AC on the road, defeating Edgewater Castle 3-1. New Jersey Alliance pummels the Philadelphia Ukrainian Nationals 6-0. Sahara Gunners fall to Valhalla FC 10-1. After a 1-1 draw, Christos FC beats Steel Pulse 5-4 in penalties. Carolina United Heat defeating Majestic Soccer Club 4-0. Parkland Soccer Club defeating City Soccer FC 2-0. Kalanji Pro Profile falling to Tennessee Tempo FC 2-0. Yins United falling to Nova FC, Northern Virginia FC 2-1. After 76 minutes of play, New York Pennsylvania Freedoms defeating the New York Renegades. And because of that, a Renegades player was shown a straight red card in the 76th minute. He refused to leave the pitch 
And so he forced the referee to cancel the match and give the Pennsylvania Freedoms their 3-0 victory. Inter-San Francisco defeating Sharktopus 4-2. Austin Thunder falls to Alamo City FC 2-1. Temecula FC defeats Santa Monica Surf 3-1. Escondido FC and Irvine Zeta FC 1-1 draw, but Irvine Zeta edges Escondido in penalties 10-9. FC Folsom defeating Valley 5-59 FC 5-3. Azteca FC defeating FC Denver 2-0. And finally, due to a forfeit, 4-0 SC advances while Athletic Katy forfeits. And UDA Soccer also advances on the forfeit from Sporting Arizona FC. Now it's time to talk about the New York Red Bulls and their victory on Decision Day. I'll be honest. I thought it was a lost season. Even though they made strides in the back end of this year, I still thought it was too little too late. They were going to go out there. They were going to attempt a major miracle. and I honestly didn't think it was going to happen. They had to win. Win and you're in. All they needed was one goal, one opportunity. It was scoreless through 90 minutes until second half stoppage time. And the moment came in the third minute of four of second half stoppage time. Lukinas had the ball at his feet, dribbled inside the Nashville area, fouled. The referee saw the foul, blew his whistle, pointed to the spot, penalty, no Omir Fernandez, no Elise Manuel, and no Frankie Amaya. All three men were subbed out. It was up to John Tolkien to take the penalty. Now, two penalty shootouts in the League's Cup against the New England Revolution and the Philadelphia Union, John Tolkien converted. Won the penalty shootout against New England, and he had that opportunity in front of him to convert the penalty. He wasted no time when the whistle blew by the referee, ran straight up to the ball, made his decision right away, struck it inside the far post when Joe Willis dove to the near post and put the Red Bulls in the lead with a minute plus remaining in the match in second second half stoppage time, runs to the corner flag, the far corner flag, where there was a family of four wearing Red Bulls gear celebrating with them, jumping over the ad signs to give them a big hug. Got back on the pitch. Whistle blew to restart the second half in stoppage time, battling it out again with Nashville to prevent them from getting an equalizer. And as soon as Lukinas biked the ball out, the referee blew his whistle. And the New York Red Bulls, crucial three points, not only leapfrogs D.C. United, who were already eliminated because they did not play on decision day because they already played their 34 matches because we have uneven teams in MLS right now, leapt over them, leapt over Charlotte FC, who defeated Inter-Miami 1-0, At home, took the eighth spot, pushed Charlotte to the ninth spot, and shoved out Montreal out of a playoff position because they lost to the Columbus crew at lower.com field two goals to one. And after that match, everyone on the bench in Columbus for 
Club de Foot Montreal saw the disappointment in their faces when John Tolkien converted and when the final whistle blew and whimpered back into the tunnel to go back into their locker room because their season is over. On the final day of the regular season on decision day, the New York Red Bulls now broke the record qualifying for the playoffs in 14 consecutive seasons. And now they have a date on Wednesday, October the 25th at Red Bull Arena as they will host Charlotte FC for a wild card one and done match. Roy Lassane, at the moment, job well done. But not out of the woods. He's going to have to get them into a big run if they are going to shock the world. This victory put the Red Bulls over the playoff line for the very first time this season, better late than never. And right now, for this Red Bull team, who are on a run and feeling pretty damn good about themselves, winning three consecutive road matches at D.C., at Cincinnati, now at Nashville, winning four of their last five regular season matches, which included the win at home against Toronto FC 3-0, losing to Chicago 1-0 at home. I thought this was it. I thought the record was over, the streak was over, the Red Bulls were done, and they proved me wrong. It proved a lot of people wrong. Listen, I want them to be successful. I want them to do well. But if you feel it's not in the cards, and the way they were playing this year felt like it wasn't in the cards. It felt like this is it. The streak is over. Pack it up. Just get ready for 2024. Whatever changes have to be made, make them during the off season. And we will see what the situation will be in front of us. But for Troy Lassane right now, that's his opportunity to remain. I don't know what will happen depending on if they win or lose that playoff match against Charlotte. But right now, he's playing with house money right now. He has this club moving forward. But once again, we'll see what happens at Red Bull Arena on Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on the MLS season pass through Apple TV. And if they defeat Charlotte, then they're going to be playing in the best two out of three first-round playoffs against the defending or the current Supporter Shield champions in FC Cincinnati. And that match will start in Cincinnati on Sunday night, Sports 1. And then the following weekend, back at Red Bull Arena. They can pull off another miracle in the opening round. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what would happen. But one thing is for sure. And simply it is this. If you knock off Cincy, you got to take on either Philly or New England. And if you knock one of those two off at their place, it's the biggest upset ever in MLS history. And we'll see what happens moving forward. Until then, until then, concentrate on tomorrow night. If you are a Rebel supporter, fill the fill up the arena and yell and scream your head off and support this team. 
I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank the president of Orange County SC, Dan Rutstein, and from Pittsburgh Soccer Now, John Krasinski. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. I will have an extra show on Thursday night to talk about the wild card matchup with the New York Red Bulls. Thank you for listening to me tonight. I hope you have a very good evening and enjoy the rest of the week. Take care, so long, and bye-bye for now. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care, so long, and bye-bye for now.